multitasking is way overrated. And it's a different thing to be able to manage multiple projects well, but you still have to prioritize your time. You still have to prioritize your attention and energy because you still want to deliver the best possible outcome that you can. And that is not going to happen if your attention is divided. Shanali Burke is a growth strategist who helps purpose-driven brands bring big ideas to life through social PR. Over the past two decades, Shanali has worked with some of the most forward-thinking and innovative organizations in the world. She's an adjunct faculty member at the Johns Hopkins University Master's Communications Program. And not only is Shanali a teacher, she's also a strong advocate for lifelong learning herself. To that end, she's currently enrolled in Harvard's Business Analytics Program so she can help organizations better leverage data in their marketing efforts. In this episode of the Look Left at Marketing podcast, Brian Scanlon talks with Shanali about lifelong learning, course corrections, and a bit about marketing as well. Enjoy. Shanali, thanks for joining us. Hey, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. So today we're going to talk about lifelong learning. And before we dive into that and maybe some marketing along the way, let's start with what you're doing now, Shanali, because it's actually a really great example of lifelong learning. Well, thanks, Brian. Yeah, it is kind of cool. So um, as you know, because you and I have been colleagues for a long time, I've been in marketing for quite a while. And um, due to my life changing quite dramatically in recent years, I was at a point where I I was really um, examining kind of where I was and how I could be of more service as my career continued. And I really wanted to hone specific skills in analytics, particularly, because as you know, that's always been an area of interest and expertise of mine in the marketing space. But I wanted to do something a little bit different than just same old, same old marketing analytics, because the world um, is literally changing before our eyes now, even more so than ever. So after looking around quite a bit and thinking about um, the kinds of skills I needed to upgrade, I learned about, um, applied to, and enrolled in the Harvard Business Analytics Program, which is uh, really cool. And it is a very, very unique program, at least as of now. It is Harvard's only three-shield program, as they like to say. And it is a an offering from three schools, the schools of engineering, arts and sciences, and the business school. And it is really designed to equip business leaders or those who are on the leadership track to have a much deeper understanding of analytics from every aspect of the business and then leverage them for the benefit of the business. Fantastic. It sounds really exciting. I actually uh, did a, a course, you know, I, you know, I did all my schooling like straight through. And, uh, and about 10 years ago, I took a course in negotiation at the Haas School of Business out here in California. And it was really funny because I'd done a lot of negotiation. So I went in there thinking, yeah, I really got it. And wow, what an eye opener just to get real <laughs> like professional. It's like, wow, you really, you thought negotiation was argument. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's really not what it is. And, and it just, it can be such a, a, a good thing. And, but you know, I, Obviously, what you're doing is is a big jump into the deep end, and you know, three shields. Like I'm already scared. <laughs> and, uh, I know. It's like, oh my god, I got three shields. <laughs> but you know, maybe we could both think about. You know, that's not. You know, your example is not the only time you've learned. You've gone and gone in to do some lifelong learning, and certainly my course is not the only time. 
maybe for our listeners, is there, you know, who are in marketing or PR, you know, what's maybe there are some baby steps like the shallow end of the pool, like, uh, you know, is any, any thoughts on what might be a good first step or a habit or, or, or something that that's good for lifelong learning? Well, I think the first thing is that you really have to zero in on what you want to learn and why you want to learn it. Um, you know, and I think that holds good at any stage of your career. And it's probably really important um, in the earlier stage of your career, because once you are in, you know, kind of set in your career, then, you, then your path kind of develops as you go along but especially when you are new to the field and I know we are talking specifically about marketing and PR um you know it's like okay I maybe graduated with a degree in PR or journalism but what really excites me where do I feel most passionate where do I feel most passion what am I really driven to do and I'm I don't want anyone to start rolling their eyes and going, oh my God, here we go with that whole new agey talk. You know, do, do your passion, follow your passion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because yes and no, because following your passion is all very well. If, but if it doesn't help you pay the bills, then it's kind of useless. So you've got to figure out a way exactly. to, to make it work. And I think that's where that intersection is. You know, what do you love to do? And how do you become better at doing that? And that's, I think what you need to focus on because when you become better at doing something, you will do it better. You will do it more efficiently and therefore you will start to excel um, more and more quickly and your career will develop. So I think zeroing in on that is really important. And then looking around you and looking at people who are doing what you want to do or people who are doing what you think you want to be doing in three years and five years and 10 years. And those people might change. And I hope they will change because, you know, we should all be growing all the time and reaching out and asking them for help. How do I get started doing this? How did you do that? And, and I think in my experience, at least people are so willing to help, but you have to ask for the help. You know, that's a really good point. I think, you know, there's, you know, the, when growing up in kind of the agency cultures, there are all these like mentor programs and kind of all this uh, kind of formal structure at, at times. And I don't want to dismiss that because I think that's, you know, many, I think even younger people sometimes need to push and they need a challenge and, um, and they need some programming because chaos is, is really a, a, a good thing. But you mentioned something about looking at people who are doing things that you care about or interest you and finding kind of that mentor that, that speaks to you. I, I remember I had a mentor who uh, was just totally outside my wheelhouse, you know, didn't, didn't even really uh, work in the areas that I worked, but they did have valuable perspectives and, and it wasn't that they necessarily were in the same universe, but just that they had a perspective that kind of kept opening up, um, my eyes. And, and I, I think that that's really the important thing is that, you know, you, it's like a two way street, you know, you're not, you could get assigned a mentor. In fact, pretty much every agency does it right. Here's your mentor, you know, um, go for it. But I think you also, there are these opportunities to kind of find someone or see a moment of opportunity or they speak to you and, and just be bold enough to, to go up to them and ask, ask the question and go back to them and ask the question. Exactly. And I think you're exactly right that, you know, uh, there are those mentors 
that are given to you and then the, there are those that you find. Um, and I don't think it's either or. In fact, I don't know that there's anything in life that is either or. Yeah. You know, it's usually a combination of things. Um, you know, but when I think of people who have mentored me or who I consider as mentors now or coaches, and I don't just mean, you know, folk who are senior to me in the industry, but peer mentors or students from whom I learn, mm. um, I think it is really important not to be hesitant in asking, but I also think it's really important to be very clear about what you are asking for help with. Because yeah. I can't tell you the number of times I have people coming to me saying, oh, I'd love to pick your brain. First of all, I hate that term. So if you are listening to this podcast, do not email me. So I'm going to go into my millennial voice. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> I have a very dear millennial friend. And we kind of do, do this back and forth. You know, I think we just picked up too much from Schitt's Creek. Yeah. And... <laughs> Uh oh, David. Uh, um, I could do this all day and I won't. <laughs> but, you know, if somebody says, I want to pick your brain, I'm like, that makes me feel really scared because I'll be left with a hole in my head. So please don't use that terminology. But I understand where you're coming from. But tell me what you help with, want to help with specifically. You know, is it how do I do this specifically? Or can you help me understand this specifically? Because then that helps me be more concrete with my advice. Yeah. And then, you know, the 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 compliment to that is do your research. So if someone comes to me and says, well, I'd like your advice on blah, blah, blah. Well, have you Googled what I may have written exactly. or talked about on blah, blah, blah before? Because chances are it's out there. Um, and, and if it is, then it... I would be able to help you better if you first read or listened or watched, you know, whatever that content is, and then ask me questions about it, because then I'm not duplicating information, and that's of more use to you. You know, what I used to really like is uh, some of the, the brightest people I ever worked with, and actually, I learned this from them, would come in and say, I need help with something, and they would have that something, you know, it would be like, um, I can't. I can't, you know, this, I'm working on this press release. Or I got this new account. I'm supposed to do this. And I, you know, I already went to help with the managers. And, but this is my problem. And it was very concrete. And I'm dating myself a little bit, but this was back when, back when everybody printed everything. And people would like to physically walk in with the piece of paper and be like, this is what I need help with. And yeah, and I it was think so I, useful. So important. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to speak over you. No, I think it's just, you know, just that, that concrete ask um, and, uh, and just not be this kind of, because it's very, I think it's very, I found in mentorship that the, I've been a mentor and sometimes it's just not worked well and, and it could be chemistry or, or things like that. But my, my sense is, and I think you really nailed it, is that it just didn't, it wasn't specific. It was what are you working on? What are you struggling with? Like it, all these like very big platitudes that just uh, you spend all your time trying to get to the thing and, and then you're kind of, you're, you're out of time or you're out of energy or, or, or anything. But I think it's such a good point you bring up to be focused. And um, you know, I used to tell uh, young, some of our young staffers, like you're a sponge. I used to have this whole lecture worked out. Like 
this is the time you're a sponge you just need to soak up everything and learn try everything and learn everything and god what horrible advice that was now that i look back and uh i don't know i may i interrupt i i don't know that it is horrible advice i think it's actually really good advice because you know and maybe this is my uh my theater background coming out because as you know i've had quite a zigzaggy career path i went to school for economics and then i completely changed gear and did theater studies at the graduate level and was a professional actress before I moved into marketing PR and now I'm going into business analytics or at least I'm learning business analytics to improve my my communications uh, work. But I remember particularly during my theater school days, um, that was basically what was expected. You were expected to be a sponge. Um, you were certainly expected to then also form your own opinions and develop your own style. But I think the, the, you know, the philosophy was, well, first be willing to learn. Yeah. First be willing to be take open. it in and kind of put your, put your biases. And, and, and I know we might be talking about biases a little bit later, but put your biases and preconceived notions of how something should be done aside absorb this, you know, be the empty vessel. And of course, that speaks a lot to kind of, you know, traditional Indian teaching philosophy of the guru and and students mm. and so on. Um, so I, I don't know that, you know, being a sponge is bad advice. I think it's actually really good advice. Yeah, I think I, I, I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, I, I think in modern times, people are just so distracted, and they, they tend to run from thing to thing to thing. And, it's almost like they're getting points or trying everything they try. And, you know, the one thing that I, I actually think has been, and this is really for me in lifelong learning is every year I try and pick like one professionally one thing and doesn't mean I won't only learn one thing. God knows I learn 10 things every day, but, but one thing I'm going to really like sink my teeth into and just like, go to a conference or two and do the reading and seek out smart people with a problem and ask them questions. And, and for me that, that seemed to help. Maybe I'm getting a bit older and I can only handle like one thing a year, but, um, uh, but that kind of focus was really, I think useful, particularly with, you know, what people come in and say, what, you know, a year from now, what's that one thing and what is your, your goal? And, um, and, and at least it's, it's helped me and it's certainly helped the the business and, and my clients. Cause I can, I I'm focused on it for a period of time. It's never precisely a year, but it's like, I'm just going to keep at this for a while. And, um, and it, it, it seems to work. I, I don't know if you have a similar, uh, uh, philosophy for people who might not be in structured programs, you know, of, of how they, they kind of advance their skills. I think, um, you know, I think everybody does things differently, but I love your idea of the one thing I have. One of my cousins who is, you know, one of the smartest people I know, he has this thing where he will pick one thing like you, but he'll do it for six months. And for six months outside of work and and, and life, and honestly, I don't know how he does everything that he does. <laughs> um, he'll do that one thing. So, you know, for six months, it was photography. And uh, then the next six months, it was learning the guitar or wow. something else. And I love that they are not all work related because he's actually, um, 
I mean, talk about, you know, an analytics and digital and kind of a tech brain. He's, he's super, super, super smart. Um, but very, very kind of balanced from a left brain, right brain point yeah. of view. And I think it's because he chooses such a diverse range of things to learn about. And I really love that approach. So, you know, I think how much time one devotes to it um, or, you know, uh, whether one chooses to do it up to a certain level of, um, I don't want to say expertise, but comfort. So, you know, that there's different types of structure one can put around things. But I think focus is really important. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I've been learning more and more, and perhaps this is also one of the benefits of growing older, which newsflash we are all doing <laughs> <laughs> is that maybe we learn that multitasking is overrated yeah because really multitasking is way overrated and you know both you and i come out of the agency world and it's like at the agencies you know multitask multitask like no it's a different thing to be able to manage multiple projects well, but you still have to prioritize your time. You still have to prioritize your attention and energy because you still want to deliver the best possible outcome that you can for your clients. And that is not going to happen if your attention is divided. So I think that point of focus that you bring up is really important. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, I think that focus is really good. And I also love, you know, that the example that you gave about learning other things. I, I think there, there are some people who, and I, I've, I've talked to people about this where they're like, oh, the next thing in my career and I want to learn. And I think it's also good to ask, well, what else are you learning? Because uh, people who, who, you know, have more than kind of one focus in everything that they do, if you only live your work, right, there will come a time where you'll, you'll, you'll realize that that's, and it happened, totally happened to me, by the way, that like, hey, there's, a lot of other stuff out there you might be missing or, you know, or if that all of a sudden that work isn't satisfied, then, well, what else do you have? Right. And this notion of like, and I think particularly in marketing and PR and, you know, art and music or even mechanics or, cause I, I just think it helps you uh, just be a better well-rounded person and to explore other interests. I mean, we, we've all read the data, right. You're going to basically, you're going to have you know, three, four careers now, you know, it's the, you're not going to get your pension and gold watch at the end from Ford, you know, there's, (laughs) so, so, you know, you're kind of doing that, but also you can't run around and do four careers at once. You know, Uh, I don't, I don't know about you, but if one person talks to me about, ask me what my side hustle is, I'm just going to like lose it. Like, (laughs) like, 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 do you have to have one in Silicon Valley? Did I miss that in the orientation when I drove over the border? That I need to like not only have one job, but have a side hustle where I'm like selling stuff somewhere else or making t-shirts or whatever. Um, yeah, I know. I think I, I think maybe it was just such a product of um, technology becoming so yeah. um, accessible and the um, inability or unwillingness of many organizations to embrace flexibility that drove a lot of people and perhaps primarily of the millennial generation. And then that started kind of percolating to other generations because I've done some research on this, um, you know, millennials, different generations in the workplace 
um, that they just got so frustrated. They were like, fine, you're not going to pay me enough or you're not going to make me, you know, make it possible for me to do X, Y, Z. I'm just going to do it on my own. And, uh, you know, I have personally, I'm not, I'm not an anthropological researcher, but I find the research into generations and generational qualities fascinating. I know Pew has done a lot. Um, you know, so many other research organizations have as well. And the millennial generation is very, very interesting in their approach to the workplace. And it's so diametrically different to Gen Xers. And they actually have a lot more in common with boomers, I think, than they realize. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, there's uh, there's this uh, really great uh, book called The Happiness Trap, which, you know, people like me, when they hit their middle age, read books like that. And um, it's the notion that, you know, there's these pre-programmed uh, stops, like the promotion, moving up the ladder, the mortgage, the house, the new car, and they're all just a ladder that's kind of a trap and you know the the notion is you know now i think we have a generation that walks up and kicks the ladder over and says why do i even have to climb that and um and it's actually kind of um liberating to be able to to be able to do that and um because they're maybe not defined by work yeah i really i yeah i agree you know there is the flip side though that you've got to pay your dues and I know that sounds super old world but you've got to do the work exactly you know nothing is going to just come to you um sometimes it does but the more you do the work the more comes to you it's one of those kind of universal life cliches but you've got to do the work a great yeah you have to have uh, I used to call it you know work muscle memory you know and and uh, I remember um uh, we, you know, would do a, in the boom times, we do all this crazy hiring and we'd have people who would a- apply and, you know, it would go through some layers before it get to me. And I would, you know, I would always ask, well, who else, who'd you throw out? And, <laughs> um, and it was really interesting because, you know, I think there are some preconceived notions, but I remember that I would be really drawn to people who had done some work, you know, and I, I think that that's, um, you know, who, you know, I think that's one of the best things you can do is to put in the time and also just work really hard in the moments that require it. I used to, you know, I, I spent a lot of time working in restaurants when I was putting myself through school. And I used to love hiring people who had that experience because they, they really understood that, like, when it gets busy, it gets busy. And yeah. you, you can't just say restaurant closed or like, <laughs> You just got to work through it. And it's a mess. You know, people, you're dealing with people, stuff comes out wrong. You know, there's, you know, there's no, you know, the people coming to the restaurant are not metered. You know, it comes in waves. And and I used to love that people were able to kind of work through it. And without, sometimes without a lot of like uh, predetermined strategy. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, things should be chaotic, but sometimes just the effort of pushing through, um, can, I think, get you to new places and in, you know, building up those habits of work. Like right now we're in the middle of, of, you know, uh, coronavirus and COVID. And it's, I think it's so easy to like not work. Right. I just think there's so many distractions and reasons and, and I even find myself, you know, I'll never be accused of not working, but there's muscle memory there, 
you know, and, uh, and habits and, and, and you kind of develop them by putting in the time. Yes, you do. And yes, I agree with you. It is important to do the work. I also think it's important to acknowledge when, um, we are living through the most unimaginable time in the history of many of us. And we're being threatened with martial law imposed in America. I mean, that is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. And I think, you know, it was one thing you have a global pandemic that most of us have not lived through. I think you would have had to have been three or, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. at least to have, to be able to say that in, in 1918, to be able to say that this is your second experience of a global pandemic, because I don't think anything on the scale of COVID-19 has been experienced since the 1918 flu. Not even close, yeah. So that's number one. Then that is the next wave that that is lapped on top of that is a massive global recession. And then we have the most surreal, I am lost for words, as you can tell, because of how my speech has slowed down, but you have the most surreal moments in unfolding before our eyes where humanity is thrown out the door and if these are not massive markers of global grief i don't know what is and so i think it is really important to to understand and acknowledge that and you know we, you and I individually, I know, have had personal tragedy hit us and, and everybody has, you know, everyone experiences tragedy, but now we are experiencing tragedy collectively, globally and collaboratively and collectively. And it's not just one, it's one after another, after another, after another, after another. I mean, our human shock absorbers can only take so much. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting because, you know, uh, people are working from home and they got their kids, you know, jumping on all over them. The, the weight of the anxiety of, and the uncertainty is, is there. And some, you know, somebody said to us, oh, you got, you guys must be great because you all already work from home. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, well, no, not really. Like it, it, it's not just like the same, <laughs> even, even though I, we, you know, our, our, our companies completely, uh, work from home and, but it's not the same, you know, and, and, and the, the kind of the weight of it. And, you know, it's funny, there was this, uh, there was this thing going around, going around in social media. This is probably another phrase you hate, but, um, (laughs) but it was this notion of like, you know, somebody was saying, you know, if you, if you don't take this time to learn a language or, you my know, and, God. and I'm just like, you know, I, I literally had a client the other day who has two little girls doing ballerina, like on the zoom and, and he's just trying to get through his day, you know? Yeah. And, um, and this notion that, you know, just because, you know, that we can somehow, you know, we may have gained time, but I think to your point, time is not the only part of the equation. I mean, you're, you're, 
shock absorbers, your brain, your neurons can only handle so much. And, and it's okay to be like a bit calm, you know, at, you know, at, at times because peace can, you know, that, that calmness can actually be a really good thing. You don't have to be busy all the time. You don't, and you shouldn't be busy all the time. And I try not to use words like should and deserve because I think they can be very judgmental. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, like I'm used to working remotely. I've worked remotely either part-time or full-time, uh, you know, since 2006. So working remotely is not new to me, but it is for many, many people. And like you said, number one, they're just trying to survive. They are just trying exactly. to survive. I just want to get by. So, and I think I actually wrote a blog post about this. I don't know if you read it. This was, you know, a while back because I'm not very regular with my blogging these days. But I said, you know, what is this free time of which you speak to yeah. misquote um, the Dowager Lady Grantham from Downton Abbey? You know, what what free time? Because yeah. most people are just trying to do the work to keep up to speed in a technological environment that most of them you know, most people were not set up to to be working like this from home, to have this much of a drain on their internet connections, um, to have to manage the kids and pets and parents and family. And then with all of the restrictions that have been imposed, rightly so, because of the pandemic and, and trying to make sure that the health system is not overwhelmed. And over, over and above that, you then have to process your grief. Exactly. And grief takes takes space. It's heavy. It's weighty. So what free time? Yeah. There is no free time. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, I think some of these people that post this don't really have an understanding that a small portion of the economy in the world, you know, including us, work in jobs like marketing and technology and they involve keyboards and brain power. But, you know, I, I was at the grocery store the other day and... You know, I was thinking, like, what an amazing job they have done in such a short period of time to basically change everything and, you know, to learn new procedures and to, to you know, to train people and to figure out staffing because clearly not everybody can come in and people get sick because think about the exposure level of being in a public place like that constantly. And like, what a what a challenge, you know, and, and I, and, and, and yet, you know, some people are like, well, they don't have toilet paper or whatever. And, uh, or, or I can't believe I'm waiting like, well, you know, it's, it's just really kind of fascinating to, to, to think that, you know, humans actually can be super adaptive when they're, when, when they need to. And, uh, well, I mean, look at, look, look at the history of the human race. Like literally that's what we do. It's Darwinian. We are exactly. <laughs> the product of Darwinism. And I agree with you. I think, you know, how many organizations have been uh, making the transition, um, you know, and I've seen it close up and personal from two very, very um, storied academic institutions, both Harvard, because I am a student there, as well as Johns Hopkins, because I teach there. And I'm just so impressed with the level of dedication and um, determination to just continue and not let students and faculty feel, um, you know, kind of at sea. Um, and th th so those are just two examples, but I'm very impressed with, with the way organizations have just been dealing with this, you know, and, and honestly, with a lot of businesses who have been resisting digital transformation. Well, yeah. guess what, my friends, 
you have had no choice. <laughs> yeah, you are either going to fail and succumb to technology, which is basically the history of innovation, exactly. or you're going to adapt and figure out a way to survive. That's really, you know, I have a, a friend who sits on the, one of the big analyst firms uh, advisory boards and uh, they had their meeting and about half the people there are from very traditional uh, industries like banking and and I shouldn't call them very traditional. It's probably not fair. There's a lot of innovation in, in, in those areas, but they, you know, they basically said, okay, are you going to be doing cutting? And one person said, no, we're going to skip levels in digital transformation. Like this is not like the pace of like, we'll start the planning. We'll do the implementation. It's like, no, if it like, if it's speed bumped or crashed during this period, it's changed. It has to. Exactly. And, and, you know, and I find that really, you know, I find that really encouraging being in tech. Um, But also, you know, and, and I think this relates to some of the things that are happening now, the, that technology is not available for everybody. You know, there are large portions of, of, of the yeah. country that are not wired or yeah. are wired aggressively or haven't been brought up or, 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 or changed, you know, on, on technology, um, you know, are, are working in systems or, or sources and books and whatever that are ancient. And, um, and, you know, I think it's a real fear that some of those folks could get left behind, you know, as the, as the, digitals kind of emerge um and then you have a group that you know it's it's hard to learn at times you know I, I, my father never learned the computer he learned it a little bit at work because he had to like it was like he had to do it um and but he just never learned it and just because it can be it can be hard to change and um and, you know, I think that's, you know, there's, there is this gap that's going to have to be addressed. You know, we, we, you know, we complain when our internet is down or it's slow, like they're just people who don't even have it, you know, or exactly. don't have a computer, you know, they're probably, you know, and how do you, how do you start, start kind of fixing that? And, and, and yeah. it's interesting. My, my wife is in elementary education and, and she works in what would be considered a fairly affluent district. Mm-hmm. Plenty of kids, even in this district, who just were not set up for distance Zooming every day. The computer wasn't available. They're using their parents' work computer, maybe. Um, and and that's, you know, if you think about sitting in that little bit of an ivory tower, having those issues. Exactly. Well, she's, you know, they're really prevalent in other places. Um, and, you know, I, what an opportunity for tech companies, I think, to stand really, up and it just, really they, is. And they, it's kind of, they have the money. I mean, they really exactly. do. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. they would, and not to sound like a horrible capitalist pig, but they would essentially be, be helping their next generation of customers, you know? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you, you know, I remember that time that Google gave me a Chromebook, like you you would remember that, you know, I think that's, you know, this is going to sound horrible and probably piss off a whole bunch of people, but that's equivalent to somebody handling, handing you a used baseball glove. Like it's like a gift, like go to the next level. And, um, but what, what an opportunity. I mean, they're certainly writing checks now, but you know, it could be, you know, it could be just such a huge opportunity to be able to, to, you know, lift people up and, 
and help them learn and 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 be open because i i think people will remember that you know yeah absolutely i i'm in violent agreement with you <laughs> no violence this is a violence no violence exactly. i'm in non-violent agreement with you <laughs> exactly as i as, as those words left my mouth i was oh come on <laughs> All right. Well, one last topic, because I think part yes. of lifelong learning is failure. And um, yes. and I happen to live in Silicon Valley, where it feels like failure is like a giant badge of honor that you wear on your shoulder that says, I failed. It, it was spectacular. Um, and I'm, I'm being a I'm being a little bit of a jerk, but at times I feel like that's that's really good. But, you know, is, you know, Shanali, is there kind of a lesson in failure for you personally or? or advice you might have about, about failure? Because failure is hard to process for most people. It's really, it's tough to deal with. It is, it is, it is. And, you know, heaven knows I have had enough failures and they are um, dancing around the corner, I am sure. <laughs> um, you know, I think you just have to perhaps admit that you're human and everybody must make mistakes. So it's a... It is a, um, a facet of the human condition. You know, it's I, just human. And I also think it's it, it helps you inform you where you can succeed too. I mean, I, I remember I, I I was on this path to get a PhD in English, and I thought for sure that's what I was going to do. I was going to do this creative writing thing, and and it turns out I really hated teaching when I was you know twenty two, um, and I was. I was probably fairly bad at it mm -hmm. and it was a big lesson on that. That was not for me. And, yeah. um, and, uh, there are parts of it that I loved, but that was, that world was not for me. And, and sometimes learning that early can just be a, a blessing or to, to learn that this isn't the career for you. And, um, and, but, you know, just cause you failed at something doesn't mean it's not in your career. Lord knows I look at, you know, my, time i've been doing you know mostly similar things for 20 years and man there's a lot of failure there but some of them were like really big learning experiences like well i think i think they all can be i, I you, forget about that i think they all are yeah you know point is do we learn the lessons and yeah. I, honestly and i know this is going to sound a little bit new agey but i'm a firm believer in what we encounter in our lifetime is about learning um, so, you know, to your point of and, and the point of this podcast about lifelong learning, we literally are learning every day. We are we have learning opportunities come our way every day, whether it's in, you know, innocuous interactions with strangers or in academic opportunities that come our way or in the professional space. There's an opportunity to learn something every moment. And so if we don't learn whatever that lesson is, we're going to keep being given opportunities to learn it. So failure stubborn is that way. <laughs> to learn, to look at learning. And, um, you know, you can look at it as, oh, I didn't succeed. Well, okay, so you didn't. So what? What did you learn from it? What are you exactly. going to, how are you going to apply that to the next thing? Um, you know, sometimes people spend years and years and years learning something and then they decide at the last minute they're not going to write that dissertation or they're done doing blah, blah, blah. You know, you decided that the PhD was not for you um, because you learned something really important about yourself. But you know, like you said, what if you'd gone through with it and then you'd spend the next 15 years hating what you did? Oh, my God, that would have been so much worse. Exactly. Exactly. 
And, you know, and I also think that the older you get, and I think, you know, if, if you've had some success that, that this is not the most fair statement, but, you know, it's, it's not necessarily what you gain. It's how much you grow. Like if you're going to tally exactly. it up at the end, like how much did you grow? And, yeah. and, you know, and, and that could be a whole another uh, topic for discussion okay. at, a, a, <laughs> at a later date. But, um, but anyways, uh, I think we're, we're, we're running out of time here, Shanali. So I, I really want to thank you for joining us. Oh, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Our thanks to Shanali Burke. For more information on everything she's up to, be sure to check out her website, shanaliburke.com. We hope you'll subscribe to the Look Left at Marketing podcast series on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we welcome your comments and suggestions for episodes you might like to hear in the future. Next up, we'll be talking to Paul Gillen, one of the best known editors and writers in business tech media. He's also an independent consultant, author, and speaker. Paul has covered everything, all the major developments in the past 30 years in technology and has a keen sense for where the market's going to be going in the future as well. It'll be a fun conversation. You're invited to sit in. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of the Look Left at Marketing podcast. Till the next time, be well.